20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Montgomery, Andy Benoit episode of the Pack-A-Day podcast. I am your host this evening. I am Jacob Westendorf. I am elated after a big, big win by my Michigan Wolverines over the little brother Michigan State Spartans. And to go with all that, the Ohio State Buckeyes were defeated by the Purdue Boilermakers in Indiana this evening. So a very good day in college football. Uh, one downside to today, obviously, uh, the Milwaukee Brewers did not advance to the World Series. Uh, they lost to the Los Angeles Dodgers. So that sucks. It ends a, a magical season for the Brewers, uh, a team that wasn't expected to go as far as they did. They were one game away from the World Series and fell just short, but seems to be a bit of a trend for the Wisconsin sports teams here since the Packers won the Super Bowl in 2010. Uh, they've had several bites at the apple in the Wisconsin area, whether it's the Brewers, two NLCSs, uh, the Wisconsin Badgers basketball team, two Final Four appearances, and a final game loss to the Blue, Duke Blue Devils in 2015. Uh, the Wisconsin football has had several bites at the apple, been unable to finish, and then the Packers obviously have played in a couple NFC title games since then uh, and been unable to bring home a trophy uh, in that time frame. But that is not... What we are here to discuss today, there is a bye week, which sucks. Um, there's really no no good way to get through the bye weeks. Um, I tend to just use it as a Sunday to kind of have some stress-free football watching, focus on my fantasy football team, do some stuff around the house if that's what I need to do. Uh, it's, it's kind of nice, I guess, to not have to have that stressful three hours because it really looks like the blood pressure, if you are a Packers fan this year, is not going to be safe. Every game this year has had some form of either frustration or comeback, come from behind victories and turning into elation, or really the weird game I think throughout the year we're going to look back on is that loss, tie, whatever you want to call it, against the Minnesota Vikings at Lambeau Field. That might end up being a big deal. It might not be at the end of the year. The Packers, thankfully, appear to control their own destiny. As we sit today here, and it's uh, October 21st, 
the Packers are in control of their own destiny, as most teams are at this time of the year, obviously. Uh, but they have a – currently they sit as the sixth seed in the NFC playoff picture if the playoffs started tomorrow, and thankfully they do not. They would be traveling to Washington for a rematch against Alex Smith, Adrian Peterson, and the Washington Redskins. They've had a bit of an uneven start to the year. They've shown some signs of being a good team. They've shown signs of being a bad team. They've shown signs of, as a team that I think that you can say, it's, it's fair to say at this point at least, that they seem to be starting slow. They've done that in every game save for the contest against the San Francisco 49ers. Even in their game against the Bills, which was a 22-0 shutout, they started slow there. The offense hasn't been able to find a rhythm. When they haven't started fast, or when they have started faster, the defense has kind of played poorly. Um, I think that Andy Herman put it best. He said, you know, if it's not one, there's not one unit that seems to, there's always one unit, excuse me, that seems to play poorly during a game for the Packers this season. And that really has been the case so far. Um, but the good news is there's a lot of time left in this season. Uh, the Packers have plenty of games left. They have plenty of ways to right the ship. And they really have a big stretch coming out of the bye week here in Los Angeles to take on the Rams team that looks to be a bit of a juggernaut. Uh, they have been the best team in football, I think, by far to start this season. There are some holes in their defense, and those are some things they can't exploit. I don't know if the Packers are going to be able to beat the Rams. I'm certainly not going to call that shot here a week later without knowing who's going to play and who's not. The Rams have a game today against the San Francisco 49ers, the team the Packers just beat. I don't anticipate that game going well for the 49ers, coming off a heartbreaking loss for them in Green Bay against these Packers. And I will talk more about that experience because I was at the game on Monday night with my Pulse of the Pack co-host, Jason Perrone. But we have a lot to get to here. Uh, it's going to be just me tonight. Uh, Zach Jacobson is purchasing a vehicle. Zach, I wish you luck. Uh, little do you know, I wish you had called me sooner. Uh, my dad is actually a expert in making car dealers squirm, but that's okay. Uh, I'm sure Zach will do just fine on his own. I wish him luck in driving through California traffic because I've seen that. I've never actually <laughs> driven in it myself, but I've seen it on television. So let's jump right in here. Uh, the the Packers are, as I mentioned, they're 3-2-1, and one, and I think something that comes out of their most recent game against the 49ers is their wide receiver position and how it's kind of in flux. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but I do know that they came into the year, and you know Devontae Adams is a stud. Uh, Zach, who would have been on the show had he been able, is uh, has said recently that he believes Adams is a top-five receiver in all of football. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to go through a list just yet, uh, but Adams is certainly, I believe, certainly in the top 10, and I think it's debatable as to whether he is in the top five. He is a wonderful player as the self-proclaimed president, self-proclaimed president, wow, that was brutal, of the Team Devontae fan club that was established after his horrendous 2015 season. I am thrilled to see this development. He makes a living roasting number one corners. Your team's best corner has not had a good day against Devontae Adams. And these are guys who we're not just talking about dudes with my athletic ability that they're throwing out at them. We're talking about guys like uh, Darius Slay had a rough go against him. Xavier Rhodes, uh, Richard Sherman the other night had some difficulties with Adams. 
there's a lot of good corners that are struggling. And that's just because Adams, I mean, let's be honest, there's a lot of good receivers in the NFL these days. Adams is one of the elite receivers in the NFL, and he has made the transition to the number one. I think that we all kind of knew that Adams was the number one receiver by the middle of last year, uh, but it's become very evident to the national media now with the absence of Jordy Nelson, uh, who is now obviously in Oakland. So Adams is there. He's a given. He's a constant. You know every week, you know, Rogers said after the game this week that he wakes up and rolls out of bed and he's the hot hand. So that's good. You know about him. Uh, we came into the year with some unknowns. Randall Cobb uh, is, I don't know if we can call him an unknown necessarily, but you just aren't 100% certain of what his abilities are, uh, what his production level could be. He hasn't had a good season uh, like he had in 2014. I suppose that would be a great season that he had in 2014 where he was the best slot receiver in all of football. He's not that anymore. Um, there's plenty of guys that have taken that mantle since then. Cobb is still a good player, still certainly a useful player, um, and he had a good start to the year. He had a huge game against the Chicago Bears, uh, including the 75-yard touchdown that completed the comeback against a Bears team that looks to be one that could be a formidable foe here down the stretch as the Packers season keeps going. Uh, we'll find out a lot, I think, about the Bears this this afternoon as they take on the New England Patriots and Tom Brady at home. But ever since that game, Cobb kind of eh, uh, had a really bad game against Washington. He said it was one of the worst games of his career. I would agree with him. A couple drops, a huge fumble in that game. His game against the Vikings, uh, he wasn't great, but he wasn't bad either. Um, so just, I mean, some of that might have been game planning. Some of that could have been that Rodgers just didn't find him. There's been a lot of that going on. And then you have Geronimo Allison, who was leading the team in receiving yards before he suffered a concussion slash hamstring injury uh, that has taken place here the last couple of weeks. So he hasn't played. And in the time that he hasn't played, the Packers have really had to rely on some young rookies. And one of the fears that the Packers had or if you were a Packers fan, I suppose, I can't say for sure if the Packers had it, coming into the season was the lack of proven depth behind the top, really the top two receivers. We kind of know about Geronimo Allison, but not a ton. And we certainly don't know anything about the guys behind him. All of the players that were selected in the draft, so Jamon Moore, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and Equinemia St. Brown were not top 100 picks. Uh, and I would say that if they came to the year hoping to rely on them for big production uh, that would be foolish however those rookies namely Valdez Scantling but St. Brown to some point as well have acquitted themselves very well in their extended playing time here in the last couple weeks uh, and it's been interesting to watch I mean Valdez Scantling you knew as soon as he came on the field his speed jumps off the page at you right away uh, you know that he can run and he can run by just about anybody a good question that I think at this point it's fair to be asked is whether his speed is opening up things for other players on the field and whether he should see the field more because of that. Now, the Packers typically really since, I mean, there were days, the glory days, if you will, were when the Packers had one series, it was Greg Jennings in his prime and Donald Driver when he was still very productive on one series. And then the next series, they could have Jordy Nelson and James Jones come in the game. If they went empty, they could go with all four of those guys and Randall Cobb. That 2011 offense was legendary from that standpoint, from a pass-catching weapons, they don't really do that anymore. And I think that that's something, at least with Valdez-Scantling, 
I think he's proven at least to some degree that he belongs on the field. They could run a four-wide receiver package. They could put him on the field and put him in positions to not just run nine routes, run those crossing routes. They Corners can't run with him. Safeties definitely can't run with him. He has proven himself worthy of more playing time, and I think that that is something that the Packers should definitely be looking into through this bye week is finding ways to put him in positions to succeed. Now, I'm not saying he's got to be the focal point of the game plan. He doesn't have to be, you know, the primary target after Devontae Adams, if you will, but he definitely deserves to be on the field. And if nothing else, I mean, maybe he does those little things that, you know, we kind of talked about it with Jermichael Finley when he was here in Green Bay, was if Finley didn't have the production, but he did get the the looks from the safeties and the linebackers and open up things for other players. And Finley has all the franchise records as far as tight ends go, as far as best single season. So he was definitely a productive player while he was in Green Bay, but even when he wasn't productive, he drew the attention. And that's something that matters. That's something MVS's speed could certainly play into here as the Packers go down the stretch of their season. That's been very nice to see. He's made big plays down the field. Rodgers clearly trusts him, which it's annoying to me, I guess, to a point. Rodgers really needs to get over this whole... I trust you. I don't trust you. He needs to throw the open guy. Uh, and I think that there are definitely instances of him passing up open receivers because he doesn't trust them. Uh, and that, you know, Valdez Scantling is somebody that has at least earned his trust, but that's something that can be worked out on as well. Equinemia St. Brown has been the second best of those rookies. If Valdez Scantling is like at the top, he is like head and shoulders above the other rookies as far as I'm concerned of how they've performed throughout this year. And I think that's been made pretty clear as far as their playing time reps. Like a receiver goes down, MVS is the first one to come into the game. He's earned that. But EQ made a huge play on Monday night against the 49ers that I think isn't getting talked about enough. Rodgers trusted him on a back shoulder pass. I mean, Ross Uglum, during his film study, referred to it as some Jordy Nelson stuff. And I'm paraphrasing. And it was really nice to see. It was a huge play. It put the Packers in borderline field goal range uh, for Mason Crosby. And then a play to Devontae Adams before the game-winning field goal took place as well. He's somebody I, too, believe has earned at least a little bit more of a look to give guys like Allison and Randall Cobb a break throughout the course of the game. And maybe even Adams. They've talked about wanting to you know, limit his snap counts uh, as the season goes down the stretch because he really is playing a lot of snaps. These guys at least could give the guy, give Adams a break for a couple plays here or there. Obviously, you don't want to take him out for an entire series, but give him something. Uh, Jamon Moore, he made a catch on Monday night. He had a chance to score a touchdown if Rodgers had seen him, but he's definitely been a disappointment. Um, Even with his draft status being a non-top 100 pick, he's been definitely the worst of those three rookie receivers, but there's plenty of time. For him to fix that, I, I certainly don't want to sound like I'm giving up on Jamon Moore. But for this season specifically, uh, those two guys, Brown and Valdez Scantling, are definitely head and shoulders above Jamon Moore. So I think those guys should be getting at least some playing time. Cobb and Allison will likely be back after the bye week uh, for next week's game against the Rams. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Mike McCarthy is known to be stubborn and put his guys that he trusts on the field, and they certainly trust Cobb and Allison. I think that's been proven, and for good reason. Those are two good players, but the Packers definitely have some interesting weapons to work with 
at the receiver position, and I think that they should be looking at getting those guys on the field, keeping them on the field in case, God forbid, something happens to where they lose Cobb or Allison or even worse, Adams, for an extended period of time. The next pass catcher I want to talk about with you guys is Jimmy Graham because the Packers have gotten a lot, have gotten a lot of grief for how they've handled the tight end position. Uh, I mean, really, since Jermichael Finley retired, they've kind of had a revolving door at the position. It was stabilized for a little while with Jared Cook, um, but then Cook was only here for a year. The Packers passed on him in free agency to sign another player who I will not name. Uh, that is my rule for the previous number 80. Uh, he kind of gets the Voldemort treatment of he who must not be named. Everybody knows who I'm talking about. But Jimmy Graham is the guy who came in, and he was here to fix all that stuff and become a reliable target uh, in the red zone, if nothing else. And he's had one big game. Uh, he had a big game Monday night against the 49ers, and he had a pretty big game against the Vikings. And I think that some people, because the volume stats aren't there, he's only scored one touchdown. I think some people were expecting – this huge impact, and that just wasn't going to happen. Um, Jimmy Graham is not the same player he was in New Orleans. That's no disrespect to the player he is now, but the player he was in New Orleans was an all-pro player, maybe the best tight end in the league, not named Rob Gronkowski. The player now, um, not that guy, but I still think a serviceable player, and I think something you're seeing that should be encouraging to you if you're a Packers fan, and if you're listening to this podcast, I think it's a pretty fair assumption that you are a Packers fan, is he is a threat between the 20s as well, not just inside the red zone. And that's something that's nice to see because the Packers haven't had anybody who can stretch that middle of the field. Like I said, that little brief period there when they had uh, Jared Cook for that run-the-table portion in the 2016 season. But also now even going further back to Jermichael Finley, and that's been a long time. Finley's career ended quite some time ago, and they haven't had a guy to replace that since. I think that... Graham might have, I don't want to say he's going to have a huge second half because I think that's going to make people think that I think he's going to have like 10 touchdowns and over 1,000 yards receiving in these last you know, 10, 11 games. I don't think that. But I think the chemistry with him and Rodgers, you're starting to see that build. You're starting to see that grow. They had a pretty good half uh, against Detroit and then extended over into their game against the Lions. Graham had over 100 yards receiving. So I think Graham, if you just be a little patient – I think it's going to work out, and I think that there are some matchups he can definitely exploit against this Rams defense for all the talk about how good their offense is and how good the Rams have been, which is certainly warranted. Like I said, they're 6-0. and They'll probably be 7-0 and after today. They look like a juggernaut, and that's all warranted, but their defense has shown the tendency to give up some points. So the Packers can score on them, and they're going to have to because even if Green Bay's defense has improved, with all due respect, and I believe that they have, they're not going to be able to beat the Rams in a 20-17 to 17 kind of game. This is when you're going to have to win 34-31, 38-35, whatever way you want to look at it. Because this Rams offense, the Vikings defense is very good on paper. And they picked them apart. They scored 38 points on them and it didn't even look like, it looked like they could have had a lot more. They had a couple of miscues that night that could have had them in the 40 pluses, maybe even 50, if they execute the way that they were capable of. But they didn't do that that night. So that's what the Packers are going to have to do. In order to do that, uh, I think Jimmy Graham's going to have to be a part of that. I think that he can be a reliable third-down target as well as a, a big play threat down the field. And that's something that if you had told me that Jimmy Graham finishes his year with like 70 catches, 
900 yards and like eight touchdowns or something like that. I would have said your touchdown total is probably a little low, but everything else seems about right. Um, I haven't been disappointed with the addition of Graham. Now, my expectations for him were also tempered, so if your expectations were the player in New Orleans, yeah, you were going to be disappointed, but uh, he hasn't been that. So I don't think he's been disappointing. I think that uh, he's in line for a pretty solid second half. Something else I wanted to talk about and reiterate because I know the fan base is listening was my game experience on Monday night. I sat with Jason Perrone of Pulse of the Pack, which I hope you guys listen to us uh, on a weekly basis as well as this podcast. It was the first time Jason and I got to sit together, and I tweeted before the game that I said, I'm going to stand on every single third down, and I'm going to scream my ass off. And my goal was to lose my voice. And with, uh, with some help, obviously, I didn't lose my voice, but my voice was a little raspy the next day, and that was nice. Uh, we were able to stand. I think we made it pretty well known to the people in our section that we were going to be loud and rowdy. But the home field advantage in Green Bay, quite frankly, in my experience, and I'm at Lambeau Field relatively frequently. I'm not going to. I'm not a season ticket holder. I'm not there every single week. But it seems like we treat certain games differently. And what I mean by that is like the Bears and the Vikings. Or another game that comes to my mind is 2015 when they played against the Seattle Seahawks, which was after the debacle in Seattle that cost them a trip to the Super Bowl. Those crowds were electric. The crowd was mostly green and yellow, not a lot of enemy enemy fare in, in the crowd, which hasn't been the case. And something I would like to implore you guys, please, if you have tickets and cannot go to the game or want to sell them, please find a way to sell them to Packers fans because home field advantage is supposed to work in the NFL. It's supposed to give you an edge. And in Green Bay, I feel like, I mean, I feel like a lot of people, I'm not saying Lambeau Field's not, um, not a legendary place or anything like that because it is, but the crowd was awful on Monday night. And I don't mean to sound like a jerk or like super fan or anything like that, but Monday night it was 30 to 23 and some fans started leaving. And then Devonte Adams scored a touchdown to make it 30 to 30 and more fans started clearing out to which my response is, where are you going? Because you're not getting home early enough to get to bed at a decent hour, if that's what you were looking for. And you're not beating traffic. There's 80,000 people in the stadium, and that doesn't include all the people that are at the bars, around the stadium, all that sort of stuff that are going to end up trying to get home. It was embarrassing to look around my section after Crosby made a field goal, and in my row, it was me, Jason, and one other guy who stuck it out with us, and the three of us shared a hug. It was a nice experience afterwards. The Packers won, which was a good thing, but... It was embarrassing to look around and see, I mean, I don't have a percentage, but a pretty decent amount of people had cleared out. And that's just, I mean, if you're going to a football game, stay for the game. Um, and I don't I don't mean to tell people what to do or anything like that, but, you know, another example was it was, you know, it was game three, I believe, of the National League Championship Series, which, as I mentioned, just ended. And there are people sitting next to me throughout the course of the game. And while the Packers game is going on in front of them, they have the Brewers game on their phone in front of them the whole time. Which, okay, technology is great. There's a lot of advances that give us chances to view things more than ever before. However, my opinion on that is if you wanted to pay attention to the Brewers, you should have gone to a bar or you should have stayed at home. Because the Packers should get your undivided attention throughout the course of a game that you are attending. 
because there are plenty of people that would kill for those tickets that you have and you're in essence wasting by watching the Brewers. Now, I get it. The Brewers are a big deal. They were playing for a National League pennant. But if that's something you really wanted to pay attention to, uh, stay home or go to a bar or figure something else out. But I personally feel that was embarrassing. So if you feel if you feel like I'm being too harsh, feel free to tweet me. I am at Jacob Westendorf. Uh, let me know how you feel about that sort of scenario. Should you pay attention to the entire game? Or if there's something else going on, should you be able to pay attention to that too? Just you know, let me know how you're feeling. I'm, I'm curious to know. But that was my experience Monday. The last thing I want to get to here, because it's the bye week, it's almost the midway point of the season. Uh, so it's kind of easy to figure out what the team has that you feel like can get better versus what they have that can't. Uh, And what I feel that really can't is their pass rush. And, you know, the Packers, their numbers look okay from a pass rushing standpoint, from a sack standpoint, from quarterback hits, all that stuff. But the reality of the situation is they can't get pressure with their front four. And this is a front four that includes some big names with some big contracts. Clay Matthews, Nick Perry, Mike Daniels, Kenny Clark. Uh, that's where the big names kind of end, I guess. But then you've got guys like Dean Lowry playing in the middle. Kyler Fackrell is a top 100 pick. Um, Reggie Gilbert is a guy who everybody was in love with out of preseason, and he really does look like a a try-hard backup because that's really what he is, is a try-hard backup. And that's no disrespect to Reggie Gilbert. Those guys certainly have a place. But the Packers are relying on him for more, and that is a disservice that Brian Gutekunst did this offseason, and it extends – all the way back to Ted Thompson. I've given this rant before. I'm going to give it again. One, I think there is a point to be made that Winston Moss has not developed uh, some of the outside players in recent memory. I know that you know when the Packers won the Super Bowl in 2010, Clay Matthews was a terror, and they got a lot out of guys like Frank Zombo and Eric Walden. And again, no disrespect to those guys, but we're not exactly talking about Lawrence Taylor and Reggie White there. But since that time, in 2010... They have made three significant investments in arguably the most important position on their defense. They signed, or excuse me, they drafted Nick Perry in the first round after 2011 when they had the worst defense in the NFL. They signed Julius Peppers as a free agent, and that worked out pretty well. I think he was pretty good here for about three years before moving on to Carolina to finish his career, but that guy's a cyborg. He might play till he's 50 at this rate. And they used a top 100 pick on Kyler Fackrell, who he's everyone's favorite whooping boy at this point. I mean, Fackrell probably is a useful player to some degree. He hasn't been completely awful this year. But as a top 100 pick, you're definitely hoping for more. And he just hasn't been that. And the Packers, they're suffering the act of negligence right now at that position because, as I said, they cannot get pressure with their front four. Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels, those guys should not be someone – you're relying on to sack the quarterback and that kind of feels like that's what they're doing at this point Matthews not the same player he was I'm a little higher on him than most maybe admittedly because he's one of my favorite players ever Uh, but I do think that if he was a a secondary rusher the, the role that I use an example of is Chris Long of the Philadelphia Eagles if he could have that role hey you're in on third downs and your job is to hunt I think he could do that. But in order to let him be able to do that, you need Brandon Graham and you need Fletcher Cox and you need the other guys the Eagles are able to rotate in and out. And the Packers do not have that at this point. 
And I don't know if that's something that can get better. I know that there are some rumblings or maybe it's just fan wishes as far as trades. Guys like Chandler Jones, guys like Jerry Hughes of Buffalo could be available in a trade because those teams suck and might be looking to get something out of those players before they move on. That would be something that, I mean, I don't know if they're available. I don't know the trade discussions that are able to be had. I know that the Packers know that they need more help at their edge rushing position because they were in on Khalil Mack and they made a very strong offer for him. The Raiders, for (laughs) God knows what reason. Well, I don't want to get into the Raiders. They traded him to Chicago. So it's not like guys like Khalil Mack are just able to be had all the time because most teams are smart enough to keep their best players. But I know that they know that they need help. The problem is, if you look even going forward, let's just say this season ends. Clay Matthews' contract is expiring, according to Bob McGinn. The Packers have no interest in re-signing him. Okay, Uh, if that's true, assuming that's true, then you have Nick Perry, who the Packers can get out of his contract, and Perry, for all of his things he does well in the past, he's really been little more than a tackling dummy at this point this year. He's done very little in terms of affecting the passing game. Matthews has gotten all the slack for reasons I'm not 100% sure of. And Perry kind of has this Teflon suit on him. Maybe it's because everybody's focusing on the fact that Matthews isn't the player he used to be. But that's something that the Packers could look into as well, is basically starting over at the edge rushing position. And that's a tough spot to be in, is to be, I mean, good pass rushers, great pass rushers do not reach free agency. So it's not like they're just going to be able to sign Khalil Mack, for example, as a player next offseason. You're looking at more, in free agency, the pass rushers you're looking at getting are guys like Ahmad Brooks. Not him specifically, but somebody in that sort of role that he played last season. And they have two first-round picks, I know that. Uh, Those look to be, if things go out the way that they should or the way that we hope that they will, there will be two picks in the bottom bottom half of the first round. Uh, The Packers pick and the Saints. The Saints look to be a formidable team. Uh, The hope of them sucking apparently is not going to come to fruition, which with a team that has Drew Brees... Not at all surprising. Um, So the Packers looking forward really need to find a way to not only find somebody maybe for just this year, but beyond 2018 as well to kind of give them at least something to where you're not starting two rookies or starting one rookie and Kyler Fackrell or starting one rookie and Reggie Gilbert. That's not something that is a desirable situation to be in going forward. So it's a tough spot, and Ted Thompson and – Brian Gutekunst to really have nobody to blame but themselves for this position that they're in because, I mean, I've said it flat out a million times, they neglected the position, and that's just the reality of the situation. And you can say that they had other positions that were needs when they were drafted, and that's why it went that way, and there's some merit to that. But no top 100 picks is embarrassing uh, to that point. Not only that, but when Ted Thompson, we all know, isn't signing free agents, the way that uh, Brian Gutekunst has or other teams have, it's hard to cover those holes with just draft picks, and eventually that takes its toll, and you're seeing that toll being taken right now. Um, so that's that's kind of where they're at with the pass rush. I, do, I don't know what's what's going to happen there. I uh, It just kind of is what it is, I guess, at this point, is you're going to hope throughout the course of the game that the corners play very well, and they look to be in good shape there. Rashad Breeland should be back and ready to play. Uh, by the time the bye week ends. And Jair Alexander should return as well. And he looks like a home run pick from when he's played. 
Josh Jackson, I still believe, is a very good player and will continue to be a very good player. And then Kevin King had his first career interception on Monday night, and he really does look the part when he's healthy and able to go. Now, that's a big, scary statement, the when he's healthy portion. But when he's healthy, he looks good if you put him in position to succeed, which I firmly believe Mike Patton will continue to do. Currently, they're 3-2-1. and one. Uh, They have two big games after the bye, as I mentioned, the Rams, and then they go to Foxborough to play the New England Patriots. They have to win one of those games, but we're not going to worry about that just now because there's a lot of time between now and then. So what am I doing tomorrow for the bye week? Well, I'm watching football because that's what I like to do on Sundays. Who am I watching? I like to keep my tabs on the division. I think the Bears and the Patriots is a good game anyways, so I'd probably watch that even if the Bears weren't in the same division as the Packers. The Vikings and the Jets are a game I'll probably keep tabs on just because, again, it's a divisional opponent. Looking through the schedule, uh, Eagles and Panthers is something that interests me. And then on the Sunday night cap, you have uh, the the Bengals and the Chiefs. I like the Bengals roster quite a bit. Patrick Mahomes is must-see television. And then the other game is the Saints and the Ravens. They play a 3 o'clock game. Drew Brees, the Ravens are, like, sneaky good, and I really thought they were going to be awful as uh, the season went through, but it looks like that is not going to be the case. They look to be a good team with a, at least a decent chance, I think, at winning that division. Pittsburgh hasn't looked like itself. they got the Le'Veon Bell issues. Mike Tomlin is the most overrated coach in professional football, so there may be something else that comes out that doesn't help them in that regard. Uh, but I, I really like those games tomorrow. That is something that I'll be paying attention to. Um, since the Packers aren't playing, which, I mean, again, getting through the bye week, it's always a little rough because even if the Packers have been frustrating, and they certainly have through the first six games this season, you want to sit down and watch your team play. I mean, that's that's kind of what we do. You know, we go through the whole offseason hoping that they can get good. They have Aaron Rodgers. The hope is they can still get on a roll, potentially become a Super Bowl contender. Right now, I think that you don't know how to feel about this team. Uh, they've won three games. They could have easily lost all three of the games that they've won. Well, I take that back. They could have lost two of the three games they won. They weren't losing to Buffalo. Um, the Bears game, obviously, but they also could have won a couple of the games they lost. If they didn't turn the ball over what felt like 27 times against Detroit, they could have easily won that game. And if they didn't forget to play an entire half against Washington, that's a game they could have won as well. So I think that there's some correctable issues that can be had and can propel the Packers into the playoffs and a potentially a contender. I think that something that's good news, if you are a fan of the Packers, is in the NFC, it looks like the Rams are the best team. And then after that, I don't know if there's a clear cut. I don't know if Green Bay can't go in there and beat that team kind of team. Now we're going to find out a lot more down the stretch. As I mentioned, they have those two games. They'll come home and play Miami after that. Then they have a Thursday nighter against the Seattle Seahawks. And then they have a big game in Minnesota, Sunday night football against the Vikings to close out the month of November. It's a big stretch for the Packers. They really have to win the majority of those. I mean, they have to win the majority of the games anyways. Um, But they definitely have to win the majority of this stretch. This is where you're going to find out what kind of team they are. Rodgers said that after uh, the win on Monday against the 49ers. This is a big stretch for the Packers. The hope and... The hope here that you have is that they can win the majority of those games, find what kind of team they are, and hang their hat on that. I want to thank you guys for listening in. Thank you for just listening to my voice. I promise this won't become the norm. Zach and I will be back next Saturday to preview their contest with the Rams. So 
that's going to be a fun one, I think. In Los Angeles, might end up being a pseudo-home game for the Packers. L.A. has kind of had a rough go with how their crowd is going to be. Um, but it's been a lot of fun doing this, so I appreciate you guys listening in. Uh, you can follow me. I am at Jacob Westendorf, as I said. Send me some tweets. Talk to me. I enjoy talking to you guys. Uh, you can follow Zach. He is at Zach Jacobson. And you can follow the show. It is at Packet Day Podcast. It's a fun. It's been a fun year so far. Here's the hope that it continues that direction. Uh, thank you guys for listening to episode number eighty-eight of the Packet Day Podcast. Third and six, trailing thirty to twenty-three. Two minutes straight up to go in the game. San Francisco showing a blitz through the A-gap, and here they come. Rodgers looking. Throws left side of the end zone. He gets yes. Adams. Left corner of the end zone from Aaron Rodgers. 16-yard touchdown pass. The Packers an extra point away from getting this game tied. Beathard on third, down and three in the shotgun. Football to the 46 at Green Bay. Packers showing a blitz, and here they come. Beathard looking, hit as he throws it. Deep down the right sideline, and intercepted on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Sam to Rogers looking right. Throws the right side. St. Brown makes the touch. Oh, he reached back to gather it in. Using all 6'5 of his frame. Tumbled out of bounds. Inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. Snap to Rodgers. Looking downfield. Throws the left side. He's got it. Out of bounds. Inside the 10-yard line. Oh, my goodness. What a throw and catch. Again, they beat Maven. Down the left sideline. Hunter Bradley the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee. Arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. It is good. Mason Crosby delivers the dagger. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. And the Packers win 33-30.